Welcome to the Improve 81 podcast series. I'm Ken Slack, Communications Coordinator for the Interstate 81 Corridor Improvement Program. The CIP is a $2 billion package of focused improvements, including upgrades to traffic operations and incident response, as well as major capital projects such as truck climbing lanes and interstate widening in certain areas. In previous podcasts and videos, we have focused on specific projects and corridor-wide operational improvements. Today, we're going to talk about how we chose and prioritized the work that is taking place now and in the years to come. I'd like to welcome two people who've been instrumental in that effort, Dave Covington, VDOT's I-81 Program Delivery Director, as well as Ben Bennell, Assistant Director of Planning for VDOT's Transportation and Mobility Planning Division. So Ben, I'll start with you. To explain how we got here, we have to go back to 2018, when several partners began work to identify I-81's challenges and possible solutions. So how did that come about? Thanks, Ken. So I've been here with VDOT for over 20 years, and I believe during that time period, we had at least two comprehensive uh, studies of the 81 quarter, not including this study, most recent study that we've done. And uh, what set this study apart was that the General Assembly initiated uh, that through legislation, Senate Bill 971, and that was put forward by Senators Obenshane and Carrico. And I think that really put forward a top-down kind of support for the study right from the get-go. It directed the Commonwealth Transportation Board with assistance of the Office of Animal Planning and Investment, VDOT, and the Department of Rail and Public Transportation to develop incident management strategies along the corridor, uh, targeted recommendations using performance metrics similar to what is done for SmartScale. And SmartScale is Virginia's uh, prioritization process for capacity expansion uh, transportation projects across the state. And also, uh, they asked that we evaluate funding options, which included tolling of heavy trucks, express lanes, high oxygen toll lanes, you name it. And in concert with that uh, evaluation of tolling options and financing options, uh, they asked us to look at the parallel routes and what types of impacts the tolls would have on terms of diversion of putting trucks on those routes. And they also asked that we minimize the impact to local trucks. And when I say local trucks, I'm talking about trucks that have an origin or destination within the state of Virginia. Also, they asked for us to do an economic impact analysis to evaluate the impacts of any type of tolling uh, scenario on specific sectors of the Virginia economy, and that included agriculture, manufacturing, and logistics. And finally, they asked us to look at truck parking. So the legislation really set forth a pretty detailed framework that was established the scope for the corridor improvement plan from the get-go. What was also unique about that legislation was that we had a very compressed time frame. Given the, the time frame that was assigned for the plan, which was something that was very different from previous efforts, we had this you know pretty significant scope of tasks to look at per the legislation. And we were given essentially an eight-month time frame or less than eight-month time frame from April 2018 to December of 2018 to get that planning effort completed. So we were able to use readily available crash data, traffic volume data. These are data sets that VDOT readily maintains, but we were also able to dig into uh, big data sets uh, such as real-time travel speeds, as well as delay and uh, incident durations along the corridor. 
you know, that type of data we've not had access to in the past. It's much more readily available today than it has been over over the last several decades. So we've been able to to really take that data, we were able to parse through it and to identify the top problem areas along the, the corridor. You know, we don't have unlimited resources. So we really focused on the top 20% problem locations along the entire 325 mile corridor. And we developed targeted solutions that were really tailored to identifying, you know, how we could improve those underlying issues. So Ben was talking about uh, a lot of this data, whether it's uh, crash data, traffic data, but uh, we have also a big component of, uh, of this plan was to reach out to the public and make sure that they were part of the process. So Dave, uh, remind us how we went through that. Yeah, and public participation is always very important to these processes. And I think with IED1, extremely important, especially with the history has been mentioned, you know, we've done, this is at least the second study. So there's been a lot of starts and stops on 81. And, and with us knowing that this is going to be a start and go, uh, that public input was critical. So the team that was developing the IED1 and corridor improvement plan began holding public meetings in June of 2018. And so there were a total of 12 public meetings that have been held along the corridor uh, for the development of the plan alone. Um, obviously, we have public you know, hearings and public meetings about the projects, but we're talking about the actual plan itself now. So in June of 2018, public meetings were held in each of the three districts, Bristol, Salem, and Stanton, uh, along the corridor, where the public was able to interactively participate in identifying the problem areas. So Ben mentioned the big data. You know, we've got data that's telling us where we have problems, but we also want to know what people's perceptions of these areas are, you know, where we do have problems and where they think that we don't really have problems. And the attendees were asked to place colored dots in the areas where they perceive there to be problems associated with safety, congestion, or generally other issues. So 399 people attended the June public meetings, and we received over 1,100 comments uh, from those meetings. So that's really good participation. We're very grateful to have that participation and the feedback uh, that came from that meeting. In August of 2018, additional public meetings were held in each of the three districts. At this round of meetings, the public was presented with proposed solutions. So this is really important. So we went from what is your perception of these areas in June of 2018 to here's some possible solutions to these problems in, in August. So it highlights how quickly things were moving. That was a quick turnaround. Yeah. yeah. So this August 2018 meeting was a very popular meeting as well. We had 260 people attend the meeting and received uh, 793 comments from that. And then looking forward uh, from there, in October of 2018, a final round of public meetings was held in each of the three districts. And at this meeting, the public was presented with a recommended package of projects and the prioritization process. So this is where the public is starting to directly provide feedback about some potential solutions and how these projects might be prioritized or ranked, uh, which was really important. So in addition to the package of projects that was presented, the public was provided with two options for financing, and that included regional fuels tax coupled with sales and use tax, and then tolling options for trucks and passenger vehicles. Feedback from the meeting related to the prioritization and revenue generation really did help to shape the final plan. So at the October 2018 meeting, we had 284 people attend those rounds of meetings and we received 102 comments. 
You mentioned prioritizing, Dave. Um, the I-81 corridor improvement plan identified uh, more than $4 billion worth of recommended improvements. And of course, we're moving forward on roughly $2 billion worth of that. So how did we prioritize which projects would make the final cut? Yeah, it's a very good question and a very complex process. The projects were initially prioritized based on severity of need. And again, we're talking about a data-driven process here. It's been mentioned, big data. So we're doing a deep dive into data at this point. But the data-driven process was used to isolate areas of significance based on four criteria. And these four criteria come from our smart scale uh, approach to prioritizing process. So we've got some continuity there. The first is crash frequency and severity. Uh, The second is person hours of delay. The third is number of incidents involving lane closures. And the fourth is average duration of incidents involving lane closures. So these four criteria are clearly tied to a goal of enhancing safety and reducing congestion, especially congestion related to incidents or crashes. In addition to the data analyzed related to the four criteria, public input from the public meetings that we just discussed did have an effect on the project selection and prioritization process. And based on the selected funding sources, regional fuel tax increases, and heavy truck road user fees, a target timeline was established for delivery of projects. Based on this timeline and the amount of revenue that was projected to be generated over that time period, it was determined that the initial project package should be valued at approximately $2 billion. The estimated value of all the projects that were identified is greater than $4 billion. So the prioritized list was evaluated to determine, based on the prioritization rank, where the cutoff line was for the projects. This is how the list of projects was developed for current delivery. So as a result of this process, there are still projects valued at roughly $2 billion that um, will begin development as we complete the projects that are currently funded, roughly $2.2 billion that are currently funded. From the beginning, Dave, uh, the CIP partners decided that improvements in traffic operations and incident response would be the first ones that we'd see right out of the gates. Why did we decide to go that route? Well, and and that's another very good question. And I think that one that people really kind of understand because this is how people run their own lives. You know, we're all looking for the low cost, high return on that investment solution to our problems. And that's exactly what we did here. We looked at what can we deliver very quickly that doesn't really cost a whole lot because we haven't generated a lot of revenue off the regional taxes and the road user fees yet. So the operational projects really fit that category nicely. So a few examples are the the flashing and static chevrons. Those were some of the first projects that came out of the gate, so to speak. We were able to install these with state forces to really kind of quick implementation to a pretty severe safety issue with some of these challenging curves that we have on the corridor with a really low cost. Next, we have the addition of 51 traffic cameras or CCTV cameras that our traffic operations centers can operate and monitor. And this really helped us to provide a relatively low cost solution to enhance our response to incidents. And we can't respond to an incident unless we know there's an incident there. And these cameras really help us identify those incidents and dispatch so that we can get an incident cleared much more quickly. Safety service patrol enhancements. We've added additional personnel, additional trucks, additional routes, and additional hours. Um, That was pretty easy to implement. We've already got a contract for safety service patrol. We just ramped that up a little bit. So very, very quick implementation there. 
the towing recovery and incentive program that we've discussed in a lot of these podcasts and videos is another thing that we were able to do relatively quickly, a little more investment of time and money in that one, because it does require close coordination with the towing and recovery industry, uh, as well as training and acquisition of equipment. And then our digital message sign project, which just wrapped up in October of 2021, where we were able to install 30 additional message boards along the corridor so that we can communicate in real time with drivers, which is, is hugely important. So again, operational projects are generally much quicker to develop and don't require extensive engineering on the front end. The intent was to provide some enhancements with regard to safety and operational performance quickly. And having the operational projects delivered quickly also builds confidence that the program is real and it's going to happen and continue to happen. Yeah, as Ben mentioned, uh, with his years of VDOT, he'd seen some stops and starts with improvements on 81. And anyone who has lived on this corridor for any period of time has, has seen some efforts in the past, but now they have something that they can point to. This program, Improve 81, has done this. It's done this. We've got several pieces of the puzzle in place, and we are moving ahead uh, with with some more bigger projects coming down the line as well. Uh, and speaking of those bigger projects, the capital projects, um, Ben, the, the CIPUs, we've heard it referenced to a couple of times since we've been talking, smart scale. Uh, we've been using a smart scale-like process for prioritizing these projects. Can you explain what it means and, and how it was applied to I-81 in particular? So the legislation required that we use performance measures that are consistent with 33.2-141 of the Virginia Code, which is the portion that relates to smart scale. Uh, again, that is the state's prioritization process for capital transportation projects. Smart scale is a very detailed process, and I believe it has at least 14 potential performance metrics uh, that cover everything from safety to congestion to environment, economic development, accessibility, and land use. The study team went through a series of scenarios testing which of those performance measures provided the greatest differentiation between the potential recommendations that had been identified in the 81 quarter improvement plan. And we had well over 100. And we were looking at the ones that would allow us to distinguish benefits between those 100 potential projects. The performance measures that provided the greatest differentiation between the recommended projects were person hours of delay, overall crash reduction, accessibility to jobs, and accessibility to jobs for disadvantaged populations. And we felt that those really kind of struck the balance between congestion, safety, and economic development along the corridor. And for weighting those measures, uh, we did some testing and the team settled on the use of person hours delay at 40% uh, weighting, crash reduction at 40%, and accessibility to jobs at 20%. And when we applied those measures, and waiting to the recommendations and went through that smart scale like process where we actually evaluated the individual projects benefits against the total cost of those projects. We were able to come up with that list of 64 recommendations uh, for capital improvements that made it eventually into the six year improvement program. And Dave, once we decided which of these projects would be included in the $2 billion plan, how do we go about scheduling them? I guess prioritizing in a different way. It's not just which projects, but which projects win. So what factors have been going into those decisions? Well, there's a lot of factors that go into that and, and differentiate between the operational projects and the capital improvement projects just really quickly. And we just talked about, you know, the operational projects being 
relatively quick in delivery, low cost and high return on investment. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we were able to deliver those operational projects very quickly. We prioritized those and said, let's get, get these out of the gate. Let's get some improvement. Let's improve safety and operations on the interstate. So we delivered uh, those projects first. Um, the only ones to date that we haven't delivered are some of our arterial improvement projects, which are signal upgrades along the parallel routes uh, or detour routes during incidents, but those are coming soon. The capital projects are generally your larger projects that are more impactful. They require a lot of engineering work. They require, you know, sometimes uh, relocation of utilities. They require sometimes acquisition of right of way. Uh, so they take a little bit longer to develop. Of the capital improvement projects, um, one of the categories we have are ramp extensions. And we've got a lot of ramp extension projects. And those are projects that, you know, we have been kind of completing over the last two years pretty routinely. In fact, you know, to date, we've completed 12 of those projects along the corridor and um, looking forward to completing more of them. But they don't require extensive engineering. Um, they require a little bit of engineering. I mean, in most cases, it's a fairly simple process to, you know, design those projects. Generally, they don't need much, if any, right of way. So um, that's why we really um, push those kind of out of the gate for the, on the capital improvement side. The larger corridor widening projects and truck climbing lane projects do take significantly more time to deliver. Uh, we've been working through the design process uh, and some of these projects have begun or will begin construction in the very near future. Um, in addition to that, we have uh, 16 projects that we term out year projects. These projects are not scheduled to begin the design phase uh, until 2023. And the primary reason for these projects uh, beginning later is financial. The secondary reason is that we do have a desire to spread out the construction so that drivers aren't experiencing construction along significant stretches of I-81. Um, these out-year projects are projects that generally scored a little lower on the four metrics that we previously discussed. Uh, so there are areas where incidents occur less frequently and are generally, generally less severe in nature. Um, however, we have been working to try to advance these projects as quickly as possible based on our financial situation. And I'll give you an example. We've recently accelerated two of these quote unquote out year projects to current projects. Uh, those two projects are at the I-81, I-77 interchange in Withful. So overall, the scheduling is based on severity of need, financing, time required to develop the project, and opportunity. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the initial corridor improvement plan identified $4 billion worth of needs. So what happens to those projects that were not funded? And you guys may both want to weigh in on this one. Well, uh, the projects that have not yet been funded are ranked. Um, as we complete significant portions of the program, we will evaluate the ranked list of projects and integrate them into the program. We are not planning to complete all of the current projects and then consider which projects we will deliver next. That would create a gap so we wouldn't have continuous delivery of projects. So the intent is to continuously deliver the program in such a manner that is seamless. So as we complete projects, we need to start thinking about what projects are we going to start adding into that design phase so that when we're completing the last project of our current projects, we're starting the construction on the next round. 
you know, in building on what Dave was just discussing, that the legislation that was ultimately passed that created the 81 quarter improvement program and fund uh, requires that we monitor performance along the corridor annually and report back to the General Assembly on how the corridor is performing. So um, that has already begun and we are constantly monitoring what's going on. And as the projects come online that are being developed right now, uh, we'll be able to evaluate their impact on the performance along the corridor. And we'll also be able to replicate what we did back in 2018 to evaluate additional areas. Uh, Dave mentioned that we still have, uh, you know, $2 billion worth of improvements sitting out there on the table that have not been funded. Uh, as time progresses, travel patterns can change. There can be some change to the ranking of those types of improvements in the future, but we will be evaluating that continuously as we go forward. And I do think that what Ben just mentioned is really important. You know, the monitoring the performance of the projects that we are completing, because we don't want to just deliver a project for the sake of delivering a project and, you know, priority shift and tra travel pattern shifts that we want to be able to go through and say, okay, do we need to reevaluate this in concert with the I-81 committee and the Commonwealth Transportation Board? Sure. And that entire process you talked about uh, in the time frame might mean that somewhere down the road, say a new industry has come online at a particular interchange and there's a, there's a definite change in traffic pattern there that you know, perhaps a, a project in that area might need to be evaluated. So, And, and we have seen a lot of investment of large industries along the corridor just this past year that we we may need to consider in the future so stay tuned i guess as we, yeah, as we we're, move we're very forward. we're very happy for those investments but the question becomes you know is there another problem to solve as a result well ben Manell and dave covington i would definitely like to thank both of you for sharing your time and insights with us today because i do believe that knowing how the i-81 cip got started helps us understand where it is headed and why I'd also like to thank our listeners for their interest in Improve 81, and we wish you safe travels. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken.